I love the way James K. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit, he says this, your deepest desire is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. This is because your action, your doing, bubbles up from your loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices that we're immersed in. And elsewhere, he goes on to say that culture, whether you realize it or not, is actually shaping your loves. You may think because you're not intentionally practicing certain things that your spirit isn't being formed in a certain direction, but it is. Culture and the messages and the activities and the media, the technology, as well as those legitimate responsibilities are pulling you in ordering your loves, your passions, and they're shaping your heart. So whether you are intentional about it or not, your spirit, your character is being formed. So why not use the means that Christ has given us to shape your heart, your direction, your love toward a desired end? In our resource book during the series is a book called Union with Christ by uh, Rankin Wilborn. He puts it this way, very succinctly. Whatever your heart seeks most, that's your real God. And that's consistent with scripture. It's called idolatry. It's called worship. The thing you direct your attention towards throughout your day that gets your most focus, your most, that thing your heart is constantly turning towards and gravitating toward and revisiting and pondering, that thing that you go to to find escape, pleasure, that you love to savor. And oftentimes those are inordinate passions, carnal passions. We know it. We're bombarded by those kinds of messages. The thing that you consistently direct your heart towards are the things that you savor, and you will experience the fruit thereof. Did you turn your heart towards Jesus this minute? Stay on point. We're playing the game. Keep track. So the takeaway is how do we train ourselves to direct our hearts and our loves toward the triune God we're in union with. And our next passage takes us further on what that entails. Please read out loud for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my Work out your own salvation. That's Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 for our listeners. So right now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, Ron, Jesus help him. Last several weeks, we've been learning that it's not about works. It's not about our own efforts. Isn't that opposed to grace? 
because it sounds like we got to do something. We got to work at this thing. Listen, our union with Christ is a fact, but our communion with him is an act. And it's our daily practices that enable us to enjoy the fruits of experiencing that union, the pleasures, the joys, the benefits of it day by day. It's not by our works, but we're not passive. As you've heard me say numerous times up here, God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. Right? And as we see here, we work. There's something we do to work out our salvation that shapes our character, so to speak, sanctification. But it is Christ who is working in us to will and to act according to his good pleasures, according to his will, his desires. But we must labor to be brought near, as the old-time preachers used to say. And for those who still need more convincing, John Calvin himself said, let us therefore do more, labor more, to feel Christ within us. That's Calvin, the charismatic. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes, he actually said, you must labor, do more, labor to do more that you may feel experientially the reality of what grace alone has won for you. God's not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. Now, Rankin-Wilburn, again, he uses, I think, an excellent illustration. And it has to, to do with sailing. He talks about how, uh, you know, our union with Christ, our communion, these practices, our ability to experience that union in its fullness. It's not like a motorboat where we have to work and work and work in order to experience closeness with God. He says it's not like a raft either, where you just set out to sea and just float wherever. He uses the illustration of sailing, how you get into a sailboat, if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't matter how the winds are blowing. If you do nothing, not only will you not go anywhere, you may just spin in circles, but you may also even be shipwrecked. So he says a skilled sailor learns how to draw the sails. It takes effort. You've seen it on television. Some of you may be sailors. It takes work to draw the sails. It's a skill that is cultivated and learned. You learn the mechanics of drawing the sails, trimming the sails, and you learn about the weather and the wind and how it's blowing and what you must do to counteract or counterbalance certain things. But yet you're not the one making the ship go. It's the wind. And it's the same way with Christ and his spirit and union with him. Jesus himself said the wind of the spirit. The spirit blows wherever it will. And we don't know where. 
But a skilled sailor is able to catch the wind of the Spirit, so to speak, because they've learned how to navigate the difficulty of bumpy waters. They're not just waking up each morning saying, magic me, Jesus, magic me. No, they're waking up each day, throughout the day, throughout their daily lives, incorporating practices that Jesus himself practiced. Because even though he was God, he was God-man. And he did things daily in order to experience closeness with his Father and be directed by him. And he's able to say, because we are one, obey me, follow me. You're my disciples, my apprentices. Do what I do so that your joy may also be full. So we're sailors, so to speak. Learning to savor our union with Christ takes practice and effort in learning how to draw your sails so that you may know how to catch the wind of the Spirit. Avoiding spiritual drift, it takes preparation and continual trimming of the sails. As John 15, 4 through 5 says, to abide in him as he abides in us. Let's read it together. Abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in you, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, once again, intentionally direct your attention towards Jesus. Continually, every moment, every minute. <sighs> Abiding in Christ, dwelling, remaining continually. Again, our union is a reality. But he still gives the command to abide, to stay connected to him. I love the fact that that illustration, I hadn't thought about this. I'm marking my time, but I'm going to go here. Um, the imagery, vines and branches, growing things that, that flourish, that give life. I love that illustration because, as I've said already, we already have a routine practices that we are doing daily. Daily. St. Benedict would say that is your rule of life. Your rule of life. You have an unspoken rule, order of life. And what I'm inviting you to do is to intentionally establish a rule of life. Now, don't let the, the word rule, because again, man, he's back to talking about works. Now he's giving us rules. He's talking about rules, and it's just rigid. I don't know, man. I just want to go with the Spirit, man, catch the wind. Yeah, man. I get it. Don't let the word rule scare you. It doesn't mean what you think it means. It's a Latin word from which we get our word trellis. You know what a trellis is? You know that, that structure that you use in plants and vines grow up? 
trellis. I didn't know what a trellis was until a few years ago when I started doing rule of life workshops. I was like, oh, because I didn't like the word rule, by the way, <laughs> those who know me. So I was like, oh, that's so cool. So that thing isn't just about aesthetics. A trellis actually gives structure to growing things so that they do not grow wild. Doesn't just look good, it actually allows you to control the, control the growth of weeds and wild things. It gives you a structure so that the things you have planted, the things that you want to flourish, actually will grow in a predetermined direction that you, through careful thought and planning and cultivating your ground, your soil, your land, that it will happen the way you intended and will produce the good things that you desire. And that's what a rule of life is. It's someone who prayerfully reflects on their responsibilities, their relationships, their finances, their health, their jobs, the priorities in life that God has directed you to focus on, that he has given you to do, to complete. And it's you saying, okay, prayerfully, Lord, what belongs here and what doesn't? What is bearing fruit that allows me to not only conform into your image, to be transformed into your likeness, but to experience the joy of that union what must go, what must stay, and what must I do daily to cultivate that soil so it grows the way we together through our union and through the help of the Holy Spirit will now direct me and empower me to do. That's what spiritual habits do for you. That's what spiritual disciplines that are intentionally prepared and planned and practiced on a daily basis. It allows your soul to grow up into full stature, which was God's ultimate intention in establishing this union with Christ. And therefore, it must be our ultimate purpose in living that out and pursuing that. Because that was his ultimate purpose, union with Christ, a diverse body of believers experiencing oneness with him so that we may not only be seated in heavenly places with Christ as we are now, but so that someday we will all come together and be like him. And that process starts now by how we live our daily lives. Direct your attention to Jesus in this minute. There's a guy, Frank Laubach. Have any of you ever heard of Frank Laubach? He's cool. He's considered, you know, Christian mystic, whatever, but he was a pastor. You know, I think he, if I'm not mistaken, I read about him many years ago. I think he, he was a wild child, you know, at some point. Came to faith in God. He was a pastor very much involved in some social uh, justice issues or whatever, but primarily he was a pastor who was intentionally passionate about experiencing this union with Christ, the benefits of it day by day, moment by moment. As Brother Lawrence says, he called it practice of the presence of God. 
which is one of the most glorious teachings that I've ever experienced personally as far as cultivating my relationship and intimacy with God. And the idea is to train yourself to direct your attention to Jesus at every moment of every day. It's called pray without ceasing. And some of you probably thought that that meant, how do I go away to pray throughout my day? I have too much to do. No, no. It's having a conversational relationship, a conversational interaction, a conscious awareness and directing of one's attention to someone who is present with you. That's prayer. And we're to do it without ceasing. So Frank LeBuck came up with this game called the game of minutes. You've been playing it, some of you. And the idea was whether you're working on your car, doing whatever, you can't take a moment to go away, but you can train yourself every hour of every day to take a moment to simply acknowledge Christ is with you and inviting him into that activity. Or in every struggle, simply, as I said earlier, help me, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I need help with this, Jesus. Ooh, I'm really being provoked right now. Help me to keep silent, Jesus. And his congregation was given a card, a sheet of paper that said, Basically, I, Ron McClellan, whoever, have spent this much of t- amount of time, this amount of minutes, practicing God's presence, directing my attention. And they will spend an hour of the service doing that. Some were able to say, ooh, I spent 40 minutes today where every minute, at some point, I directed my attention back to Jesus. And it got to the point where they got so excited about this simple spiritual discipline that it became so natural for them throughout their entire day to simply walk in the awareness of Christ's presence, the reality of their union, because they learned to savor. And it only enhanced the times when they got away. And Frank says this, this was his experience of this practice. I have tasted a thrill in fellowship with God, which has made anything discordant with God disgusting. This afternoon, the possession of God has caught me up with such sheer joy that I thought I never had known anything like it. God was so close and so amazingly lovely that I felt like melting all over with a strange, blissful contentment, having had this experience, which comes to me now several times a week. The thrill of filth repels me, that I, I know its power, for I know its power to drag me from God. And after an hour of close friendship with God, my soul feels as clean as new fallen snow. And that was his regular experience, all starting with a simple game to practice the presence of God. 
I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not perfected in this. But about 20 years ago or so, I started practicing this discipline while doing dishes, which I did not like to do. I'm the first one to rush to do the dishes after a holiday meal. Because I know, I have a secret. When I go to do those dishes, no one wants to be around me. <laughs> but I have such sweet fellowship with the Lord. I have such, I'm finally alone. And it's a habit I try to incorporate in other things. I'm not perfected in it. But I do throughout my, my entire days incorporate this. I've been doing it for many years. It works. It works. I go through seasons where I get out of, I get drag. I experience drag like everyone else. I go through the doldrums. Well, that's when I incorporate him into those as well. It's a discipline. And the greatest way to abide, as Jesus himself says, I abide. He said he abides in his Father through obedience. And that's the greatest spiritual discipline, a walk of obedience first and foremost. And we cultivate a life of consistent obedience through the practices and habits of Jesus. And the formation, again to quote James K. Smith, the formation of our loves and desires can be happening under the hood, so to speak, under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a telos that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. Unconscious tel telos, uh, what is telos? Wes, you're the theologian. <laughs> a, telos, a telos basically is a Greek word for your desired end, your goal, your purpose. Culture is shaping your telos. But, as some of you have learned from the Westminster Catechism, what is to be our telos, the chief end of man? Who knows it? What? To worship God and enjoy him forever. To worship God. Close, yeah. To love God, enjoy him forever. It says to glorify God, by the way, but you're good. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But there are some theologians, and I agree, who say that that is better interpreted to glorify God by enjoying him forever, savoring him. That's how you glorify God, focusing on him, pondering on him, reflecting on him, incorporating him into every aspect of your life so that you can experience through that pondering, through that savoring, through that reflecting the fullness of that joy because you are actually glorifying him by enjoying him. And Wes has given me the signal to wrap it up. I, just in all fairness, I asked him to do that. I need help. I almost brought in a sign today for them to hold up. I said, ah, that's too much. Just give me the thumbs up. <laughs> So today's message, it ends as it began, with the meaning of savor, relishing and enjoying something or someone to the fullest, wanting the experience to last forever. And this takes preparation. It takes effort. It takes consistent apprenticeship. 
in the ways and spiritual practices of Jesus. We don't have time to delve into the individual practices, fasting and praying, for instance, which Jesus said, by the way, when casting out a demon, dealing with demonic issues, when they asked, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus said, these kinds only come out through prayer and fasting. Jesus didn't have time to run and go and fast up to cast out the demon. He had been living a life of fasting and prayer. His brother James commanded us to draw near to God, drawing the sails, and he will draw near to you. He went on to say, a man who can control his tongue can control every aspect of his life. Spiritual practice, silence and solitude. You practice these things so that when needed, you don't have to think about it. It's been ingrained in you, cultivated as a lifestyle. That's spiritual discipline. It's the means through which we get to experience the fullness of our union. So my question to those of you who are disciples of Christ, who are committed to being apprentices of his, do you enjoy your union with Christ? In the days ahead, I want you to reflect on this message and this question. And do, do you enjoy your relationship with God? Do you labor to draw near? Or do you simply relate to him as a laborer who has to slavishly do things in order to earn his love? And if you do not know Jesus, I know there's some of you here, you're searching, you're seeking, you're not sure what you believe. Do you want to know him? Because all of this is useless to you if you haven't made a quality decision to order your life accordingly and direct yourself accordingly to taste and see that the Lord is good, to savor, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And if you don't know him, you're not sure if you even want to, I invite you to pray the prayer of St. Teresa of Avila. Oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you. But I want to want to love you. That's my invitation to you. For it is God who works in you both to will, give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Amen.